Welcome to Feel Better, Live More Bite Size, your weekly dose of positivity and optimism to get you ready for the weekend. Today's Bite Size is brought to you by AG1, one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've come across, and I myself have been drinking it regularly for over five years. It contains vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, digestive enzymes, and so much more and can help with energy, focus, gut health, digestion, and support a healthy immune system. If you go to drinkag1.com forward slash live more, they are giving my listeners a very special offer, a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first order. See all details at drinkag1.com forward slash live more. Today's clip is from episode 350 of the podcast with award-winning scientist, Professor Tim Spector. In this clip, Tim shares why he's changed his mind on some of the health benefits of certain foods and the concept that food can be medicine. You've been researching, exploring, studying, writing about nutrition to me at least, for a good decade now. And I thought what would be interesting is to start by talking about where you've changed your mind. Perhaps some foods that you previously thought were healthy and were going to help you with your short-term and your long-term health, but you've now realised that's not the case. Well, there's plenty of them um, because I sort of came into this when I first started, yeah, over a decade ago, with a fairly open mind. Well, I'd say that, but in retrospect, it was the sort of traditional medical mind, which is what we've been spoon-fed. As I've dug deeper and deeper into this, uh, obviously new things are are coming up all the time. And, you know, the evidence is changing. And I think that's, that's what's really exciting about nutrition is that it's not standing still. It is changing. And we need to treat it much more like a science than a, a religion. Bananas, I believe, is something you change your mind on. Bananas, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were my go-to fruit. So I think they're the number one fruit people eat for the US and the, and the UK. And it was, it was pretty much my go-to um, fruit every day. And I thought it was always going to be healthy for me and uh, really good. And uh, by doing my research into bananas in great detail for for the book, I've discovered that hmm, maybe not so great uh, to have it every day. Still, you know, all of these things you can have every now and again, no problem. But for me, it was because of personalization, actually, that I discovered that bananas for me were actually something I shouldn't be having every day because they gave me sugar spikes. They're fine occasionally, but for me, they were not something I should be having. And since I've discovered what my uh, scores are, uh, I know that, you know, they don't have as much fiber. They're not as good for your gut microbes. um, And they do have this ready available sugar in them. Uh, I'm much better off having other fruits instead. So I I just get uh, apples and pears. It it was this individual journey of my, uh, you know, my poor health, and then testing myself that suddenly got this insight that everyone responds differently and 
we come back to the, the, that sort of classic uh, the Zoe Predict study that showed you know given the same food, everyone responds ten to twenty fold differently to an identical food in terms of sugar and fat mm -hmm. peaks. So the the realization that um, what could be a, a reasonable healthy food for some people might not be as good for others has been a sort of slowly evolving idea, I think. But the other point is that we shouldn't get too obsessed with one food. Yeah. And I think I don't want anyone listening to get the idea that, you know, they have to ban bananas if they have a low sugar control like myself. Um, we should be eating any proper food, and, you know, but it means that we don't necessarily have it every day or that we have it with other things that are much more important. So it's this holistic view of food. So it's very hard to take one food out of this context that when people, you know, are sort of changing their habits, not only, you know, what they eat, but when they eat. And it's all part of this whole picture. And I've just found I, I don't snack nearly as much now. Yeah. Uh, as I used to, because I was being driven to that, as we now know from our research, that you know, either having ultra-processed foods or high-sugary foods for some people just makes them hungrier um, three hours later and they will overeat and they'll be seeking other similar foods to keep it going. So once you break that cycle, you definitely don't, you're not as hungry and yeah. your mental state is much flatter. And, and now you're remembering, I mean, I, I remember at work in the hospital, um, I went and got my sandwiches, which I thought were healthy, came back, you know, with my Tropicana or whatever. I, I did struggle the afternoon with concentration and tiredness. And I don't get that anymore. Yeah. I, I've that, that whole idea of, you know, I needed three coffees to get me through the afternoon is no, no longer the same just because of the, the changes I've made to, to my diet. And I, I think that that's... Uh, really revealing. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people still don't realize that often, not always, often their hunger or certain behaviors they engage in, let's say, I need coffee or tea in the afternoon to get me through, is a response. It's a symptom. And we're not addressing the root cause. It's like, no, you know, I get a dip at 3 p.m., I need coffee at 3 p.m. Okay, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe it's because of your breakfast choice or your lunch choice. And I think once people, if they choose to consume breakfast, let's put it this way, once people change the first meal off their day, it is pretty remarkable what can happen. If you have a, a meal with a stable blood sugar, it is remarkable how many compensatory behaviors you no longer engage in because you don't want to. Yeah. You have used the CGM, Continuous Glucose Monitor, to help you understand what certain foods are doing for you. I like you think they can be very, very helpful tools if used responsibly. And if given with good education and a good, you know, help people understand what it actually means. But what interests me is how we can use trackers like a CGM to help us be more in touch with our own bodies. For example, when I eat a food like this, let's say a banana, and I have a big sugar spike and then a, a sugar crash two to three hours later, I feel hungry again. I feel a bit jittery. I feel a bit of brain fog. Oh, when I stop doing that and I'm having an apple instead, let's say, I don't have that drop two and a half hours later. For people who are coming to this for the first time, Tim, why is what's happening to our blood sugar day-to-day -day important? 
everyone has blood sugar peaks. This is part of our natural physiology and we've evolved to have them. Sugar goes up, uh, it goes into the bloodstream and gets absorbed if we need it. And then in insulin is released to bring it those levels back down because too much sugar is, if it hangs around too long, is not good for our body. And what we see in, in some people are susceptible is very high sugar peaks, which if you have them um, regularly, will predispose you firstly to type 2 diabetes. There's increasing evidence that is the case. That's not really new. What is new is the fact that these sugar spikes, um, you know, if they are prolonged, then you get inflammation related to it. So it means that the body is under stress and that all the cells in the body are sort of pressurized. They're not happy. And just because that environment for them is causing them distress. And so if you've got distressed cells in your body long term, because you are every two hours getting a sugar spike, then over years, that's going to cause mm. considerable harm. You mentioned the hospital sandwich uh, and Tropicana. I remember, Tim, as a junior doctor, I'd go to the Sainsbury's in Edinburgh and I'd buy Tropicana because, you know, I was earning money. I could afford this freshly squeezed, this is what the packet said, uh, orange juice. And I'd have that in my fridge and I'd have it with breakfast. I'd have it after work because I thought it was healthy. Right, This is a long time ago now. Uh, we all did, yeah. We all did. So talk to me about fruit juice. What have you changed your mind on that? Well... They're not healthy. There's virtually no fruit juice that is healthy. We're not deprived of vitamin C. We've just been misled by all the marketing that this is the same as eating oranges. And there's no doubt oranges are healthy, but you wouldn't eat 10 oranges in one go and just use the uh, the liquid from it rather than all the fibre and the other good bits. So I think when you compare it and you do these studies, you know, with CGMs, you'll find that drinking a glass of orange juice is actually, for me, it's slightly worse than drinking a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi. In terms of what? The, the blood sugar peak. You know, drinking one glass of orange juice is not going to be bad for you. It's it's having these things as a regular consumption, uh, also with the fact that it's promoted as a health drink yeah, and promoted to kids as a health drink. And uh, it, it really should be, you know, come with a health warning, not, not on the health shelf. So it's this, it's the idea of these regular sugar spikes um, causing stress to the body, inflammation, type 2 diabetes, and all the epidemiology studies show that it is related to heart disease. And there's even some suggesting that it, it might increase your risk of cancers. So I think that's one reason that we shouldn't be having uh, orange juice because we've been sold it as a health food that gives us vitamin C and it gives us uh, all these marvelous nutrients you have in an orange because it's very different. Most of the orange juice we're drinking is at least two years old, even though it's sort of portrayed as as, as fresh because it's been sitting in some vat in Florida or Brazil um, it, and tastes of nothing. And they add in these taste packets that are um, 
these these chemicals that give it back the orange taste that they took away so it doesn't go off. It's ultra-processed food, and what I object to it is the fact that it's it's sold as health food and, you know, generally regarded that way. That's much worse. I'd much rather people actually drank Coca-Cola and because you it's pretty obvious that's not good for you. That yeah. is that is a treat, but it's nothing says it's it's great for you and your teeth. Yeah. Whereas orange juice is, in my view, just as bad. In terms of your 20 tips, Tim, um, I really like this one. In fact, I've got it underlined. Tip number 16. Understand that food is medicine and the right diets can be as effective as many drugs. Yes. And I've changed my mind on this. Um, certainly, you know, since I was a practicing doctor where, you know, we dismissed nutrition as being pretty trivial compared to our powerful drugs that we're all um, love to prescribe. I think the field of cancer has really opened my eyes to this about the power of nutrition. Um, but just epidemiologically, calculations have said that if uh, we move the UK from its current diet to an optimum diet, we would reduce chronic illness, chronic diseases by about 70%. 70%. So this is extrapolating from, you know, you take the health, the sort of healthiest quartile of the population, the worst quartile, you, and you move the average down to the best one. There's not many medicines that would have that um, effect at, at this population level. Of course, these are models and you, know, you can criticise those. But the other thing that makes me really believe this is, is our, our work in cancer. And I was uh, running a, a consortium between a Dutch group and, and our group in the UK on melanoma, people who had metastatic melanoma who in the past you know, had very poor prognosis and outcome, but now they these new immunotherapy drugs that, you know, work, can suddenly save lives. So they're suddenly getting a third or more of people surviving, uh, you know, forever. It's very dramatic. And, and rates are getting higher all the time. Now, we looked at the effect of diet on the baseline and, and the microbiome, and it nearly doubled the success rate of the drug just by being on the right diet and having the right gut microbes at mm -hmm. the beginning of that study. So you suddenly start thinking, wow, you know, in a way it's acting just like a, a drug, these, this food. And if we just knew and if it had the same backing as pharmaceutical products, uh, we could do so much with it. And there's lots of data also about using things like mushrooms as adjuvants for chemotherapy, yeah, uh, where they increase you know, survival rates by 20%. So we're getting all this really good science now uh, building up to show the key importance of what's, what foods we eat, what's, how that affects our gut microbes, this huge effect on our immune systems. And that's why, you know, when we take these artificial sweeteners, there's a new study out last week saying erythritol, um, which is one of these sugar alcohols, has really big effects on um, immune cells and could be used as a either as for good or bad. Um, 
either you know in terms of autoimmune disease it could save people or it mm. uh, has other effects so i think once you devolve food to its chemical form and we take it more seriously rather than as calories and macronutrients mm. it, it it becomes just like um pharmaceutical products and very little difference you know artificial sweeteners what are they they're chemicals made from the petrochemical industry so they can be you know good or bad so the same we can visualize that yeah we don't see food in the same way but once you start to do that it makes sense that food definitely is medicine you know every every time you go to the supermarket all you see is reduced calories only 400 calories any this and so for most people in this country where we lack a food culture that's the number one thing that most people have been bombarded with oh i can't have that you know i should have this um eat this and it, it it's a total distraction from the quality of the food and we now know that you give people two meals of identical calories but completely different quality and makeup and macronutrients it'll have a completely different effect on your body the quality of the food is far more important if you eat good quality food it doesn't make you as hungry it changes when you next eat your meal i think people do realize it that particularly if you look after your gut microbiome all those immune benefits start to build up and have the you know this great impact and reduce problems of aging and you know yeah. help protect you against cancer help you you know deal with adverse yeah. problems in life and i think we just got to get this across the more people that do understand these these key things about calories and ultra processed food the better that's the way we can change the world and that's you know what i want to do Hope you enjoyed that bite-sized clip. Do spread the love by sharing this episode with your friends and family. And if you want more, why not go back and listen to the original full conversation with my guest. If you enjoyed this episode, I think you will really enjoy my bite-sized Friday email. It's called The Friday Five. And each week I share things that I do not share on social media. It contains five short doses of positivity, articles or books that I'm reading, quotes that I'm thinking about, exciting research I've come across, and so much more. I really think you're going to love it. The goal is for it to be a small yet powerful dose of feel good to get you ready for the weekend. You can sign up for it free of charge at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday Five. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Make sure you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back next week with my long form conversation on Wednesday and the latest episode of Bite Science next Friday.